Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coding the Future. Coding the Future is an education-based show to give information and action tips to working adults to guide them to a new level of tech savvy through leveraging your own skill set. We share the inside scoop on tech trends, explain how to leverage current technology in your career, and explore how your talents can be the key to your own tech success. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. I'm an educator, technologist, entrepreneur, mom of two boys, lover of all things coffee, coffee and wine, an avid list maker, and a lifelong learner. And I am honored that you have joined our show today. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our show or find us on one of your coding apps, not coding apps, podcast apps. Look where my mind is today. Podcast apps of Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play and download Coding the Future and leave a review. We would love to have a review. Today, Today is really quite a pleasure, and you all are going to be very excited. In my intro, I mentioned that we talk to experts in the field, and in particular, talk about tech trends. And today's show is going to be focused on tech trends and how innovation, education, and technology have come together to help change the way education has the opportunity to communicate. And in particular, we're going to talk about working with an online tech tool. So on today's show, I have the fantastic Baroud Sheth, who is the co-founder and CEO of Gupshop, the global leader in cloud messaging and conversational experiences, serving over 30,000 developers, 30K developers, including clients like Facebook, Uber, and Google, and handling over 4.5 billion messages per month. That's a B as in billion. He previously founded and led Elance, now Upwork, a publicly listed company. Holy moly, y'all. The pioneer of online freelancing and gig economy. And I don't know about you all, but I have posted on Upwork many times throughout my career. So we are so honored to have you on the show today. Thanks, Dr. Jones, for having me here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So you have found it quite an amazing company of Upwork, Upwork, and now your current company. But tell us a little bit about how you got here. What is something about you that maybe people don't know? Oh, I, I guess, you know, my track record shows I'm just uh, gritty. I mean, I, my journeys, for better or worse, have been very, very long. Uh, Elance Upwork took 20 years from conception to an IPO. Gupshop has been a 15-year-long journey already. So, you know, now to be clear, I wasn't working at Upwork all of that time. I was there for mm-hmm. about half the time and then, of course, at Gupshop. So it really, you know, the, the entrepreneurial journey is a, is a roller coaster ride, right? It can be stressful. It can be, you know, a lot of things that happen, that happen are outside your control. It could be market crises and, you know, Wall Street uh, craziness or things in the real world as well, right? So you kind of have to just keep on with it so long as you have, you know, good traction and a vision and you're going in the right direction. 
Uh, and it can be hard, it can be challenging, but if you keep at it, I mean, it leads to, you know, great outcomes uh, eventually. Did you always think you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Well, I, I mean, you know, even before I knew what, what it meant and what it entailed, uh, you know, I've just been a tinkerer, a problem solver, uh, a puzzle solver. And when I was younger, it used to be, you know, math and science puzzles, quizzes, things like that. And then you sort of, you know, once I came to graduate, you know, I studied, I grew up in India uh, at IIT Bombay, and then I came here for grad school at MIT. And once you're in grad school, you're saying, okay, what are some real world challenges that you can focus on, you can solve? And it's sort of the same um, excitement, right? I mean, because you, you're just, and, and a lot of entrepreneurship, I mean, at least the the ideation part of it is you're just tinkering, you're creating new things, you're solving problems as they come along and they never end. I mean, these are sort of an ongoing challenge. And yeah, so I, in that sense, I kind of knew, I mean, this is what I gravitated towards if it gets, you know, sort of repetitive and so on. I mean, that's not me. I think I just, I need that sort of mental rush for new challenges and taking it to the next level and the next scale. You know, I, I would agree with that. I think that that is very much a sign of an entrepreneur. Growing up in India, what was the education system system set up for you there? How were you? How did you move through school? Is it similar to what we see in the United States, where you have an elementary and a middle and a high, or how does that system set you up for learning? Yeah, that's that's such a great uh, question. So. Nominally, yes, it's similar. Uh, I think uh, maybe the slight difference is, uh, you know, you do 10 years in one school and then typically two years in what's called a junior college, and then you're ready for undergraduate school, right? But, but it's very similar to elementary to high school out here. Um, I think the difference is just given the sheer scale, meaning the number of people in India and, you know, the educational resources are, are limited compared to an affluent country like America in general. So, so what happens is uh, really it's all geared towards hyper competition, right? Because the only way to assess people is standardized tests, right? Because you just, you can't do individualized assessment and evaluation And, you know, and that's something America is good at, right? Which is you say, look, every kid, every child is different. There are different styles. And one test on one day doesn't determine who you are and should not determine the trajectory of your career. Except in India, there's no alternative because that's the only viable way to really test, you know, like there's a billion people, right? So maybe 100 million students every year going through this. Uh, What that does is, uh, while it's difficult for most kids, it is... um, it caters extremely well to the outliers and the outperformers, right? Meaning if you're, if you're good and you can ace tests and breeze through it, I mean, you'll just do well and it'll open up a lot of doors. Now, uh, you know, for better or worse, I was, I was blessed with that sort of ability. I had just an exceptional academic career. And, you know, in some sense, uh, that hyper competition really, you know, it puts you through the crucible and it sort of tests you and stresses you. Mm-hmm if you perform well and you come out of it, right? Now, it's not, again, I'll repeat, it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's great. It's good for sort of the top of the pyramid, but it's really stressful and almost counterproductive for the bulk of the students. Um, Anyway, I was, I should say, uh, among the lucky few. And once you do that, then it opens up doors to IIT, to MIT and and other things. I think the American system caters much more to, you know, wellness and everybody being 
and the individualized approach and so on. And I think I've come to realize ultimately, look, it's not either one is good or bad. I think there are, there are sort of strengths and weaknesses of each of those. You know, you need, um, I wish the American system really brought out a lot more focus on STEM, which as you know, are technologies of the, of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying exclusively STEM, of course, you know, uh, liberal arts and, and other things are super important as well. But uh, when you look at percentages, right, you see, you know, uh, what students in India and China do, I think, you know, US uh, cannot afford to be left behind. So I wish there was a little more of a focus on that, but but otherwise, I mean, the American system, I think, is certainly caters to, uh, you know. So, for example, my kids, I mean, I'd much rather you know they study in the U.S. than in India, right? So, but but there are pros and cons, and I think we should learn and watch uh, from different places. Yeah. No, I think that you're exactly correct, and I actually really like that you said that. You know, there are pros and cons to both sides because sometimes I think people have a perception that that competition could be a could be bad, but that's how. But there's also a pro in that it brought you here and you were able to elevate and really dig into what you love, which is innovation and creativity. So that leads me to a question, which is. What was a risk that you have taken over the past, you know, you can choose it either from when you were a young man or, or even within the past uh, few years that really paid off? Oh, I think uh, uh, a lot of them, you know, I think in um, at different stages. I mean, you know, look, coming out of IIT, I just came to grad school at MIT. And of course, it's a great school and no complaints. But for an average middle class kid out of Mumbai, who's never set foot outside the country, I mean, this is is a huge risk. You're going into sort of wide unknown world with no, you know, not much money. I mean, I had a scholarship to be fair, but you know, not a lot of money, no connections, nothing. And you're sort of on your own. Uh, and then as soon as I got to MIT, I, you know, I, I was admitted to one course, but I switched, I, I studied, I ended up joining the media lab uh, just because I thought the work was really interesting and exciting, right? I mean, that was a huge uh, switch. And then, in fact, when I graduated, I, so I studied computer science throughout at IIT and MIT, but when I graduated, I went and worked on Wall Street, which again was another career risk, right? The traditional thing would be you go to Silicon Valley, but I wanted that business experience, right? And uh, I ended up at City and Merrill Lynch as a bond trader, uh, which was getting very quantitative and analytical anyway. So I was a good fit, but um, but it was a career risk. And then finally, you know, as you know, Wall Street jobs can be high paying, but I was like, uh, I, you know, I want to innovate, create new things. Uh, the internet happened around that time. This was in the mid 90s. Um, so I, again, sort of really, you know, dived into entrepreneurship. I mean, you go from a good salary to zero, basically. And, uh, you know, I was, my wife's a dentist, so I was living on her uh, salary for a year or so until we raised funding and things like that. And then the whole entrepreneurial journey, I mean, at every step of the way, I mean, you know, in fact, as soon as we raised our first round of funding, we moved from New York to California and 20 people lock, stock and barrel, families, kids, pets, and boats, right? Everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and then just uh, lots of risks, of course, entrepreneurship involves uh, a lot of that. And then, you know, at some point, uh, 
I left and started Gupshop, uh, which again was a lot of risk. Uh, you know, the team's based in India, so I spend sort of India hours. I'm usually working till like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. California time, uh, keeping in touch with the team and so on. So, you know, I think it's sort of, uh, if what I found really is, uh, you know, if you commit to it, if you're excited about it, passionate about it, good at it, I think the risk, uh, plays out, right? And it's not like it just, you took a bet and it paid off. It's really, you took the bet and you kept at it and you worked at it and you made it pay off for you, right? Now it's basically, it's a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. I mean, you of course need breaks, right? But but if you're not even on the playing field, uh, the breaks not gonna help you, right? You can't just be in the spectator stand saying, oh, you know, uh, someone got lucky or something. It's like, yeah, you, you know, the amount of hard work, preparation and mental stress you go through to kind of get in the game or to be in the game is, is sort of the hard part. But yeah, lots of, uh, it's been at this point full of risks. <laughs> you know, just the, I have to give you so much credit because I don't know if I would have been able to go to an entire different country not knowing anybody, step footing, you know, step foot in into the United States with, you know, a scholarship and being able to tackle and uh, go through a higher education degree is, I think, pretty amazing. You know, as my education has been sort of similar in the fact that I knew that I wanted to go further in my education and how I did it, but I actually stayed within the state of North Carolina to do most of my education. So going, at, you know, stepping outside my box and, and going to a whole other country, I have only studied abroad for that piece. So I think that's an, a, an amazing testament to your dedication and your grit, as you uh, mentioned earlier, about being able to pursue what you're interested in. And I think that that's so important for us to share in that the risk that you mentioned is that it's a risk that really, it's not just one, but it's it's different steps that have been a little nerve wracking, but each step was the step in the right direction for something you wanted to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, a lot of progress, innovation, creativity happens outside the comfort zone. Right. And I think if you stay yes. where you are, there's no learning, right? The learning happens in, in doing something new, trying something different. And you see this, like you see this in academia, where a lot of research happens in interdisciplinary areas, right? Not mm-hmm. within the, if you will. Uh, a lot of startups are really combining this with that, right? They, they sort of take this idea, put it in a different context, and it really changes everything. I mean, Silicon Valley thrives on, uh, you know, what I like to describe it as sort of seeing the invisible, meaning you look at it from this perspective, you know, you can't see it and a casual observer would not see it. But if you just turn it around, you know, it's like Uber looks like a taxi company, but if you turn it around, it really isn't. I mean, it's an asset like there's no, there's no taxis that they own. There's no drivers that they own. It's sort of just a software company that's connecting users and drivers, you know, Airbnb looks like a hotel, except it's not, right? It doesn't own a single room, which means the, and the point I'm making is just by just shifting perspective a little bit, uh, it looks very different. And that's when the aha, the intuitive insight, you know, the light bulb moment uh, happens. And I think uh, you really have to, you know, change perspective. And that can only happen when you get outside the box, so to speak, right? You you look at it from a different point of view, you go and struggle through and in the process, 
you know, uh, learn, iterate, develop uh, some new creative ideas. And really, I mean, that's the thing I've loved, right? That's the common theme between my academic and my professional career. So, I love that you said that you see the invisible. That really just hit home for me. And that if you just turn it a little bit, because initially you would think Uber is a taxi company, but if you really take a look at it, it's really a software company who's facilitating mobility using other assets, you know, and they don't actually own any of the cars. I think that's an incredible way to look at a concept, to see the invisible or to just flip it just a little bit to possibly see it from a different angle. I think that is a great piece of advice for us all to remember and and to resonate in our brains right now. That's one of my favorite words. I think I use it a lot, but I doing the show has really broadened my own horizons and speaking to individuals like yourself and really thinking about how we create and how we're able to grow as individuals just thinking a little bit differently or changing our mindset ever so slightly creates an entire new opportunity that you may not have known was even there. And for me, that's just been a really great byproduct of doing the show. In fact, if you want to visualize the, that idea, I love these paintings by Escher. Right? Do you, have you seen this in museums or wherever where you have like, I think it's frogs that become birds just by small changes bit by bit by bit. And you kind of look at it from left to right and you wonder, you know, there's not too much change, but it changes dramatically. And, and so it just all of this as you just change perspective a little bit and it looks very. Well, and, and, you know, I, part of what I have mentioned on the show and in general, whenever I'm working with students or teachers is that we don't have to take the whole bite off at once. You can take small bites or small steps to make big changes. So just by looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective is the step in the right direction of thinking differently about how you're going to execute a task, how you're going to learn something new, how you can think about, you know, general concepts and content around you differently. I think that's um, so important for us all to keep in mind. Small little steps will make a difference as you move through, which I would like to ask before, we're going to take a quick break here in just a minute. And I want to know more about your uh, Gup Shop and what you're doing and the technology that you've been able to create and help the education system. Because what you are talking about is all centered around this concept of innovation, creativity, and leveraging technology to help bring those pieces to life. So is there a particular technical skill or technical software that you've used throughout your career that's been really a, I want to say like a, a namesake, a, a holding place? Like, has there something been that you have always gone back to that has helped you throughout your time and in learning and education and then in your career? Um, you mean a technical tool or just technical a technical tool or it could be a, you know, it could be a tool. It could be a particular coding language. It could be whatever you yeah. have fallen back on. Well, um, I mean, the nature of technology is it just keeps changing and evolving so much that by definition, the answer is there isn't one. Right. Uh, but I think what I encourage, see, I, I think the way to think about, coding, in fact, uh, I would dispel a myth, right, is to separate the programming technique or programming language from the mindset. And that mindset is far more critical than the actual tool that you use, okay? 
And even with my kids, I sort of tell them, it, it, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, I don't want to be a programmer, right? And it's like, that's not the point. You don't need to be a programmer, but you need to be able to understand this language. I mean, you're learning Spanish and French in school. I mean, you need to understand computerese, if you will. And it's really a, a very logical, analytical mindset, right, of algorithms, of data structures, of uh, combining, of, uh, you know, decomponentizing a problem, uh, uh, breaking it into smaller pieces and looking at each one, you know, and looking at the understanding the nuances and it's a certain way to think. And that is so invaluable. That's, that's critical, right? And it's sort of, it's the language of the future. I mean, you know, you talk about AI and tech, it's going to transform the world around us. And unless you sort of really get it right even as a user you could be a doctor a lawyer or a plumber it doesn't matter except it's all going to be driven by software if you don't understand you're not going to be able to progress much in your career so so i think it's really i would think of it as a as a mindset and for to train that mindset by the way there are many tools i mean if at really young age you know i mean even just a few years old five six years old people can start with scratch right it's a very visual programming tool very simple and easy to use you get further up. I mean, there's many other languages as Python is easy to start with. And then, you know, C++ gets a little harder and Java gets even harder. But JavaScript is an easier version of it. But but that's besides the point, right? I don't, the tools are getting better. In fact, they go, the world is moving towards what's called no-code uh, development, mm-hmm. right? So you need to know a specific language. But but if you, but you do need to know how to think and that that programming mindset is is invaluable. As you were speaking, I know the audience can't see it, but I am doing a cheers in the air and I could do a cartwheel four times because what you just said is part of what has been the core mission of my work over the past 10 years is to really transform that conversation around what is coding that people kind of throw their hands up and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a coder, right? And just like you said, it's changing so quickly. There's a lot of options out there. There was no code, but it's more about the concept of understanding how the programming language works. Like what are the core concepts of a variable, of an if-then statement, of being able to understand what a loop is, because those are the pieces that the basic understanding, because like you said, as we move forward, software is going to be such a large part of how we're going to interact and run and do business, do education, et cetera. So yes, Yes, and more yes. That's all I'm going to say, because everything he said was amazing. So go back and listen to that again. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dig into his innovative company of Gupshop and how it is transforming the way an online education company right now is being able to work with its customers and students. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the .consulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. 
At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back, everybody, to Coding the Future. We are back, and we are going to dig in to more about the background of how technology is really shaping the way we're interacting both in business and education and the experience that Baroud has had over the past of his career. I won't even, I won't put years on that because that's never any fun, but it's the experience in the entrepreneur piece and the passion he has around ensuring that we think about understanding what it means to use coding, to drive innovation, to drive creativity, to drive engineering, and talk a little bit about his current company and how they have had a great impact in the education sector with uh, Khan Academy. So let's just dig into it. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on and the big impact you've been able to have in helping Khan bridge a problem that they were seeing with their online curriculum. Sure. So um, let me just set some context and take it from there, right? So I think, uh, firstly, when you look at around the world, uh, smartphones have become an almost indispensable tool for people, for billions of people worldwide, right? And almost everyone uh, has it. And it's an even bigger phenomena outside the US because uh, there's no desktops, laptops. It's almost exclusively mobile devices, right? And everybody has it. So their life, sort of everything they do uh, kind of depends on it. And within that smartphone, the most popular app that's most heavily used is the messaging app, right? And it, depending on the country mm-hmm. you are in, it could be WhatsApp, um, it could be Telegram, it could be even just the basic SMS messaging app, right? That's where people use it 50 times, 100 times a day. They are messaging their friends, their family, but now, uh, you know, you can also, uh, WhatsApp has opened up the capability where you can send a message to a business and uh, businesses in turn can respond, either a human customer support agent would respond, or you could even better write a software program. A business could write a software program that could automatically respond to these messages, right? And that's very powerful because once you do that, right? So now you have a software program that is actually engaging in a chat with humans one-on-one. And uh, there's a name for that program. We call it a chat bot, right? Like it's like a software robot that can chat with you, a chat bot. Yep. So these business uh, businesses are starting to use chatbot software programs to to automate these conversations, right? That's incredibly 
powerful and uh, it, it has very, very far reaching consequences. Um, specifically uh, with Khan Academy, uh, you know, what they're doing is again, in, in now Khan Academy is just global, it's used globally, right? By users worldwide. And in, uh, I think about 55 million people use it in emerging markets uh, like South Asia, you know, LATAM and so on. And in all these uh, places, when people have questions or parents, teachers, uh, even students, right? Uh, they have questions about the app, how can they use it, how to onboard, how to set up, you know, how to find the, 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 the content that they're looking for, the learning tools, the how-to guides, the assignments and, and so on. Um, you know, so basically we provide, uh, so they, you know, what Gupshap has done is uh, we've, we've helped Khan Academy set up their uh, WhatsApp uh, conversational experience capability. So, you know, in the US they might send out emails, but in other countries uh, they have to send out WhatsApp messages because that's what people are using, right? And they, they use it to communicate, to adopt, to engage with these uh, people. And uh, they've also gone on to, we are helping them translate it into other regional languages, because ultimately, you know, you need to be able to reach people in their own language and in their own, uh, so it's really meeting users on their own terms, right? In the device of their preference and the app of their preference in the language of their preference. And that enables them to, it makes it easier to onboard parents, teachers, students, you know, sort of the whole uh, ecosystem. So that's um, very powerful. And if I can build on that even further, right? The And this is not just about Khan Academy in particular, but uh, around education, how chatbots can transform education. I think the uh, opportunity is, is endless. I mean, imagine it's like literally, uh, if you think that the chatbot can be trained and with AI, this is becoming a lot easier. So imagine if it's trained to be an exceptionally good teacher, right? And it can do some of the things that teachers do, but it can personalize it. It can understand whether you, you know, go at your own pace. Uh, they can be encouraging. There could be some sort of emotional elements as well, supportive elements and so on. Now, if you could do this, suddenly with chatbots, you have the ability to provide essentially a high quality personal teacher to every student, right? Uh, every minute and every hour of the day so that it's really provides a holistic educational performance, uh, you know, experience. And, and by no means am I saying that, you know, I think it could substitute for all the human interactions. That's not the point, but, but teachers are constrained, like in the classroom, you know, they may spend an hour or two, but then when kids go home, you have no idea what they're doing. So, so think of it as a teaching assistant that could really help students, um, you know, whenever they need, at, at their pace, in their language, on their terms, and so on, and, and with their emotional needs and personalized differences and so on. And I think this is such a big deal in the rest of the world where you don't even have access to you know, high quality uh, teaching um, uh, teachers and so on. So I think this could be really a big, big game changer. So when you're thinking about how the chatbot would work and what I really like about what you mentioned is that it would be applicable to any device that you're using. So if a child is using a laptop, for instance, would the chatbot still provide the same level of experience on the laptop and also on if they're using a personal 
cell phone device. Oh, of course, right? It works equally the same way. Um, and by the way, to go even beyond that, it may not be a laptop or a smartphone. It could be a speaker. I mean, think Alexa, think Google Assistant, where they could even speak verbally, right? So this allows you to even transcend the literacy barrier. I mean, when you go to other countries, people may not even know how to read and write, but they can speak. So now you can have voice-based interactions. You could teach them, let's say, English or literature and so on, mm-hmm. and just through verbalizing it through smart speakers. And these smart speakers are even cheaper, right? Much cheaper than, than a phone uh, or a laptop and so on. So I think it really changes the game. And the most important thing is a conversational interaction is the most natural way for humans to interact, right? Even babies know how to, how to converse. I mean, this is the first thing we all learn as human beings. Uh, and, and therefore, um, con- using conversations as a medium for education um, and even for business is very, very powerful. Yes. And I, I say this a lot in, in conversation with my own students, that the more we talk about it and you begin to understand it and you have a conversation about a particular topic, the more you begin to understand. And whenever I, I've often always encouraged my students that whenever they're writing, if they're writing a paper or they're writing a text message or they're writing something, to read it out loud before they send it, because hearing it out loud sounds so different than reading it. And so you're exactly correct. That conversation piece is so important. With your chatbots or the way that you're developing, when, okay, there's two things I want to go with. So the way that you've used it right now has been helping to have parents on board. And then you're saying you can take that same technology. Would you have to transition some of the code or some of the interaction in order to create that teaching assistant type of bot? Is it stay within the same family or how does that transcend a little bit so that it fits different needs? Yeah, I think, no, of course, you have to expand the chatbot capability, the software capabilities and so on, right? And I might break it into a few components, right? So firstly, when you think about a a chatbot, the first element is just understanding natural language, right? And there's, there's a whole field of AI called natural language processing and natural language understanding, which, you know, what they do is they train AI programs on billions of documents on the internet, right? To, to basically understand, to really understand English, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so you, and it's sort of funny, it's the same word, right? They use it for training the model. And once the model is trained, then you sort of test the model and so on. So let's say you, you know, but the good thing is once academic researchers produce these models, um, you know, any chatbot developer can just really leverage that and plug it into their own chatbot. So it becomes at least as knowledgeable as the, the best in the world, right? So, so now it understands uh, the query that's asked. Then the chatbot developer has to figure out, okay, now that I understand the query, how do I respond to it, right? And in that case, uh, obviously they have to, you know, and it probably they need to work with an educator to figure out what the right response is. I mean, if it's if it's a technical question, then of course, you know the answer, right? If it's an arithmetic question, you know the answer. But if it's, let's say, you know, a, a nuanced, a personal question, or I'm struggling with this, or I'm not understanding this, then then, you know, obviously some educator insights you know, whatever rules or tricks or techniques there are for understanding, like you're saying, you know, how do you, 
like conducting a good conversation, right? Even there, there's a lot of know-how how to do it. So perhaps some educator would work with the chatbot developer to to codify as much as possible, right? And once you uh, and uh, then once you put all of this together, there could be other el- domain-specific elements as well, depending on the subject, if it's math or literature or other things. And you know, some of it is harder if it's pure freestyle conversation. I think AI may not be there at that stage. But certainly in a lot of STEM fields where it's sort of structured topics and structured knowledge, it's a little easier uh, to codify, right? So, so anyway, all of this goes into developing that teaching assistant, let's call it, right? And then depending on, and then of course we have to do some testing. Is it adequate? Is it good enough? What are the kind of queries that users are asking that it's still not able to, so you can train it further, right? Some of it is sort of an iterative process of refinement. Uh, but I think the potential is there. I think a lot of the base component technologies are the, the state of the art in AI is pretty good. The state of art in bot development is very good. And now you do have, you know, uh, billions of users, you know, lots, millions of kids worldwide using these these things where you can actually put it out there, test it, and it gets better, right, with, with usage and so on. So So there's a lot of work to be done, no doubt, but the potential is is immense and like i said right imagine being able to provide a a teaching assistant to every kid worldwide that can personalize the educational interaction i mean that that would transform the world of education you know i have goosebumps because yes that is an amazing way to be able to differentiate uh opportunities for students to give them different ways of learning, to have an opportunity to ask questions. And the part that I think is really fantastic about this is that the more you work with it, the better it gets, right? The It gets smarter, it, I would say, but the software gets smarter and smarter. Like you mentioned that when you're trying to get an artificial intelligence component to understand natural language, you train it by lots and lots of pieces from the internet, reading that and understanding that. And the same process can happen with an education where we can have lots of different educators contribute to how this chatbot could help them elevate their teaching and take some of the nuance part off of their plate. You know, I was even thinking about just easy ways for them to check attendance or to be able to come in and communicate with students for a quick, you know, administrative task and then really be able to get into the learning and the understanding without having to do some of the simple tasks that happen on a regular basis. Yeah, exactly. And I think, look, it's it's challenging for a teacher if they have a class of 20 kids or in some other countries could be 50 or 60 kids. I mean, it's impossible just practically to individualize, you know, the interaction, right? So you kind of have to go with the average of some sort. And uh, I think here, you know, so if some kid is not feeling good or is sick or distracted or or they're passionate about something else, right? Uh, then in a way, you know, as, as for example, Khan Academy itself has shown, self-paced, self-motivated, self-driven education is always far more effective. And here you could have, you know, 20 kids going in 20 different directions based on their interest and based on their individual pace um, and actually enjoying it, right? So it really becomes truly motivating, um, very engaging for the kid. And also, you know, you can do that, like you mentioned earlier that you do with your students about the conversational piece. It's almost like the Socratic learning method, Mm -hmm. right? 
asking and reiterating and speaking, uh, you you learn a lot. And, I, and that's how the human mind works, right? We just sort of, uh, uh, by, by speaking and relaying it, we actually improve our own comprehension as well. Absolutely. I cannot agree with you more about the concept of, of self-paced, self-based being a, for students to be able to meet their meet at their own learning frontier when they're beginning to learn something in the process and how they work through the learning process is so individual for each student. And what I really like is that this concept of being able to use something like a chatbot or, and, and, and there may be other technologies that you also are thinking would be a great fit as well based on, on your work and your research. But Part of where I think this is really going to take off is that we're in a position now that we have been through this past year of the pandemic. We have seen the impact of our children having in school, out of school, online. But one of the pieces that I think is not going to go away is this the virtual and digital components that have come into the education field. And some of them have been here for a long time, you know, so the way like zoom and Google meet and hangouts and, and Skype have been around for a while, but we haven't leveraged them to the capacity they could be used in education and where I believe the door has opened and where your company can really, I believe is going to step in and provide a great, uh, great opportunity for education and other businesses as well. I'm, I'm focused on education right now because it's such a huge passion of mine. But is that, is that great ability for hybrid? There is a piece where there's nothing that's ever going to replace that face-to-face, having that conversation, like you said, having that interaction with your teacher. But there is an ability to really be, provide still high quality education through something like a chatbot, through an interaction of a learning management system that has a bit more of that natural learning process embedded that can provide great value to students. Absolutely. I think exactly. And I think there's often a sort of misunderstanding about technology substitution and so on. But, you know, I mean, look, there's recorded music and people still clamor to meet their favorite music stars and concerts and the the live experience, right? Or there are, uh, you know, there's social media, but arguably it only strengthens our desire to meet people because now we can keep in touch with them and keep in touch with their lives. Previously, we'd just be out of sight, out of mind, right? So it's sort of the same thing here. I think the fact that a kid is going to be truly engaged and truly comprehend uh, the material is only going to increase their desire to interact uh, with, the, with the live teacher as well, right? But, but it just technology can do things, um, can augment uh, the, the in-person experience with sort of a, you know, a 24 hour, and I, and I don't mean the kid needs to, you know, be educated for 24 hours, but right. <laughs> at their own time, at their own, you know, they sure. can be late in the night, early in the morning, whatever, if the kid is feeling restless or they, they're, they're passionate about something. I mean, mm-hmm. I know, you know, uh, like my kids, you know, sometimes when they love a topic, they'll be up till late at night and then they have a question and nobody to talk to. I think uh, this allows, you know, technology is great to fill that gap between what teachers can do or can be expected to do and what students want. And I think anything that drives more interest and more engagement and more participation will will only be good even for uh, the the human teachers as well. I cannot agree more. It's the asset that technology can bring to the classroom and to, and or to a business. However, you use it to for the betterment of your company. 
Well, tell me what's on the horizon for your business over the next few years. Where do you see you all growing? Are you digging into some new innovations? What's going on? Yeah, I think, look, we uh, we are in the business of providing a conversational messaging platform, right? Basically providing these tools that will enable businesses to, to build these sort of uh, chat uh, software, chatbot experiences, uh, whether it's in education, whether it's in e-commerce, whether it's, you know, in other verticals, entertainment, gaming, you name it. In fact, I think this is part of a broader trend where we believe everything is just going to become conversational. And, you know, one reason for that is uh, historically, if you look at other ways of interacting with computers, whether it's a desktop app or a website uh, or, a, or a mobile app, right? All of them require humans to behave like computers by clicking on screens, tabs, and buttons. But now with conversational experiences, you have computers behaving like humans, uh, having a natural interactive conversation, right? Even a kid can do that. There are many examples where, you know, little kids start ordering Alexa around, you know, get me this. Yes. Get- so so it's, it's sort of really the most intuitive, natural experience. And, but, but to get it right requires a lot of tooling, a lot of technology, a lot of automation. So there's uh, certainly uh, AI-like capabilities. You need to organize the content. There are some best practices on what is a good conversation, what's not. Um, there are ways to understand the, the, the stated and maybe even the unstated intent if, some, if somebody is not happy, if they're angry. You can read the tone from the words that they're using or from the way they speak and so on, right? So the point is, there's a lot of technology that's required to be built and that's what we'll provide. So I think the future is uh, unlimited. I mean, we think you know, literally every business and perhaps even every person is going to have some conversational chatbot version of themselves out there, right? So for example, if I want to reach you, I have a question about some education best practice and sometimes you're busy or there's like thousands of people that want to reach you. But imagine I could talk to the Dr. Jones bot and- uh, Ooh, I, could, I like it. <laughs> I could answer the questions that I have and then set up a time where I can speak to you in person. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just the possibilities are endless and just providing all of that infrastructure and tooling is what we're going to be doing. Oh, I love it. It's kind of like a bobblehead, but it would just be a bot. Um, my everyone, will, I I'll get a good laugh out of that. The um, I think what you're developing is incredible. I think it's going to transform. It already has the way in which uh, customers are interacting. I think you're exactly right. The technology, the baseline of what you're creating is there. It's just it's going to uh, change a bit over time and and work for different entities. I'm curious to know if you could give an an action item or one piece of advice that you could tell our audience of something that they could be doing right now as we know that technology is continuing to change. You and I both have a passion for for wanting individuals to understand the base points of what is coding, right? But is there an action item that you could give our audience of something that you just think is a great tool, soft or hard uh, tech tool that they could use as they are continuing to build their careers? Sure. I think, um, you know, firstly, the thing to understand about technologies is uh, there's, there's many different dimensions and aspects to it, right? Meaning if you are an analytical or a STEM kind of person, then you would gravitate towards the coding part of it. 
But even if you're not, let's say you're into liberal arts, you're into um, you know other kinds of fields. Well, a lot of technology is about storytelling, about designing the right product interface. It's about figuring out you know what it can do and should do as it as people interact with it. Uh, so you know when you talk about large companies, there are uh, tech companies uh, that are not just engineering roles, right? I mean, it's not like everybody's doing engineering. You need to have product managers and then you need marketing managers and you need, you know, um, uh, quality assurance and user interface designers and, uh, you know, maybe even sort of storytellers and content uh, people and bloggers and writers and so on, right? So what I'm trying to say is there's many different ways to approach this whole sort of element of, of tech and technology. So there's no question that technology will be transformative, you know, AI or tech uh, or software automation in general, everything is getting that. So it's important to not get intimidated by it or, or to not get turned off by the one part that you may not like, because there are many other aspects of it, which is very accessible, which is very needed and will be very influential and useful in your career, right? So even if you are, you know, a, a professor or a doctor or a lawyer or a, even a fireman or something, a plumber, I mean, having truly understanding technology and how you can use it to enhance it, improve it, and and so on, because it's going to be an all-pervasive part of our life. And I think really. First and foremost is not being intimidated by it. Sort of, you know, the mental barriers that we that are self-imposed is sort of getting over that is the first thing. And then maybe the specific tool, you know, if you like the the coding side of things, you know, depending on your age, anything from Scratch to Python to Java to C or JavaScript. I mean, there's many uh, elements to it. But even if it's not on the tech side, I think you know, web design, you know, layout, you know, uh, graphic design. Um, uh, you know, identity, uh, conversational experiences, think about it. It's all going to be about storytelling, right? How do you construct and craft a good conversation is much more, you know, an English or a history major would be far better suited to sort of designing that experience than than just a computer science program. And it takes, what I'm saying is it takes all kinds of skills mm-hmm. to be able to do this. So, so really just overcoming that sort of mental block is the most important thing. And then the rest is actually quite easy depending on your interest. Absolutely agree. I think that mental block is always what stops us from moving forward, but you're absolutely spot on. Take what you love, what you're interested in, start with that, and then you add the technology part on the back end. It's been an absolute pleasure pleasure to speak with you, Barood, and I thank you so much for all of the technology and the innovation that you're bringing to the field of education, to other businesses, and I look forward to seeing what is going to come next for you and for your company. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please subscribe to our show at Coding the Future, and we cannot wait for you to visit us next week when we have another expert on to share more about how tech is changing the world that we're living in. Thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you on the next show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.